0: Monday. So let's get into the word. Let's bow our heads and hearts so the Holy Spirit can be with us. Lord of heaven and earth, the almighty, the forever God, Lord, we come before you humbly uh, first to thank and worship you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we just ask that uh, I would decrease and your spirit and increase. And Lord, that your word would go forth, not by might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say, and that, Lord, as your word goes forth, Lord, our hearts would be ready, our minds and our ears would be attentive, that we will receive it in the depths of our heart and treasure it there, hide it there, so we would not sin against you, Lord. We pray for all those who are not able to make it, all those who uh, will be able to see it on live stream, Lord, and we just pray that they're blessed by your word, Lord God. And so we just thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, we can go through your word, and we can be blessed by your presence. So be with us, Lord. We set aside this time for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and the saint said, amen, amen, Amen. all right. So, book of Proverbs. I think you guys know who wrote it. King, King Solomon, who was the son of King David, thank you. We got some Bible scholars on Thursdays. Praise the Lord for that. And so the book of Proverbs, I like to tell the youth, we're actually teaching through Proverbs on Sunday mornings. I like to tell the youth, a proverb a day keeps the foolishness away, right? Because see, essentially Proverbs is a book of wisdom and Jesus Christ is the whiz of wisdom. And if you try to operate outside of Jesus' wisdom, you take the whiz out of wisdom and all you have left is dumb and that's dumb right? And so we need to operate under the wisdom that comes from above. And so the book of Proverbs, the word proverb actually is a compound word, and it simply means a saying or rule to govern our lives. And so Solomon, if you guys remember, when God came to him and asked him, said, ask me anything, ask me anything. And I'll give it to you. Well, most of us would ask at this point, I know we need lower gas prices, Lord. Like, I think I'm good with lower gas prices. Take away the inflation, right? Let's put some godly people all around our government, things of that nature. And there could have been other things that Solomon could have asked for around that time, of course, but he just simply asked for, Lord, just give me a discerning heart to govern your people. You talk about a man after God's own heart. He just wanted to do the will of God. And he asked God for wisdom and God gave him much, much more on top of the wisdom, because his heart essentially was to seek the Lord and to honor God in all that he does. And so God gave him an over amount of wisdom that the Bible says more than anyone in all the Bible, except for Jesus. Thank you. Usually if you just say Jesus, the answer is right. Okay. So if you're wondering which one, Jesus? Yeah, most likely it's right. Okay. So it talked about how Solomon had all this wisdom and first Kings records that he wrote over 3000 proverbs so these, these sayings to help govern our lives. Now, contrary to what we may think, Proverbs is not what we call a guarantee or thus saith the Lord, right? They're principles for godly living. They're simply the mind of God in all of our daily choices. For example, some of you are questioning, hmm, what do you, what? so okay, the Bible says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they grow old, they will not depart. Most of us know that, right? But how many of you know people that have been raised in the way of the Lord, but when they grew all, they did depart, and many did not come back, right? This is a hyperbole, like this is experiential wisdom, is that you're more likely to follow and stay in the word of God if you're raised in a household that is in that manner, right? So again, these are principles for all of our godly living. You know, I think of Solomon, you know, we remember Solomon had all this great wisdom, but some of us don't realize Solomon was the one who started the high altars. That was Solomon. So in his early years, he had all this great wisdom, which he offered to all these people, and he was excellent at instructing others, but he was terrible at using it for himself. You know, I like to look at it like as if wisdom was the ability to cook. You know, he he was a masterful at cooking filet mignon, all the steaks, all this great food. But when it came to himself, he had a week old McDonald's in in his refrigerator, right? He just ate terrible food because he used it for others, but he failed to use it on himself. And so essentially wisdom can be said as heavenly principles for earthly living. And so this word wisdom has different definitions all throughout scripture. In this context, in the book of Proverbs, it actually translates to skill. And so it means to have skill. So it's essentially the skill to know, understand, and apply God's perspective or principles to all of our earthly living, essentially with our relationship with man and our relationship with God. Proverbs covers everything that has to do with life and relationship. So essentially, saints, we become wise or skillful when we apply God's principles to all of our everyday decision-making. We gain these skills to be successful in all of our earthly living. So I I like to call Proverbs like an owner's manual for life. See, an owner's manual will not guarantee that things will not go wrong, but they simply instruct us on how to to make them right once they do go wrong. So that's why I encourage you guys, proverb a day and five Psalms. Psalms is for worship. Proverbs is for living our relationships. All of it together is going to give us wisdom to live a godly life. So some themes in in Proverbs is is, um, wisdom, which we saw. And then also, too, this element called the fear of the Lord. Have you guys heard that before? The fear of the Lord? People don't fear God or I do fear God, right? A fear of the Lord. An element about the fear of the Lord is you can't have that unless you're born again, unless you're a child of God, because the fear of the Lord can only come from having the Holy Spirit and having a personal relationship with the Lord. And so the Bible has a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. And I would, I would like to say the fear of the Lord can be explained as a reverential submission to God, that leads to a life of obedience, trust, and love, right? This is not something where I'm so terrified of the Lord, I don't, I don't want to come out of my, my house, right? But this is something where I love the Lord so much, and I'm so appreciative of Him, and I know how powerful He is, I just want to live a life that puts a smile on His face. I love how the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that, um, that whether absent or present, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him, the Lord, That is what the fear of the Lord leads to. For you note takers, for context, I'm just going to read one, but there's many. Uh, Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth do I hate. See, essentially being afraid of doing the things that would disappoint him or grieve his heart. And I think about Joseph. You know, God gave him favor in all of Potiphar's house. And I'm I'm guessing Potiphar's wife had to be beautiful because he had to run, right? If she wasn't beautiful, yeah, no, the answer's no, sorry, sorry. But he fled and left his coat. That's what the fear of the Lord does, is that I don't care how appeasing it is to my flesh, I want to please the Lord so bad, even if I have to run and take off and flee to please the Lord, right? So growing in hatred for sin, you who fear the Lord hate evil, So on your outline, I'm not gonna go over all the points. I'll just go over point by point as we go into the word of God. So verse one in the Bible, Proverbs three. So I titled the message, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, principle for godly living. Now living in a world where, where things are fickle, is it easy or is it hard to trust people? Right? All of us have trust issues because all of us have experienced people letting us down. All of us have experienced broken promises. See, trust is really about uh, the object or person you put your trust in. And so Solomon has great wisdom and words for his son all through the book of Proverbs, all through it. And so trusting in the Lord essentially is relying, depending, and completely surrendering our hearts to him even when we don't know what's in front of us. And that's not always easy. But I want to remind you guys the reason why we're able to do that is because of the unchanging character of the God that we serve, right? There's no one in all the universe that can compare to the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is the invisible God made visible in human flesh, right? And so first point on there is live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse one, Solomon says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart Keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. Solomon, uh, in, in this text, in all through Proverbs, is written a parent to a child narrative, meaning this is a parent talking to their child. And I love that because I'm, par- I'm a parent. And also God is considered our father. And so this element of a parent talking to a child is extremely applicable for each and every one of us. Even if you don't have kids You had parents, right? You had someone in your life who was parenting you. And Solomon starts off with his first exhortation, do not forget my law. First exhortation. This phrase, my son, is mentioned 24 times in the book of Proverbs alone. My son, my son, my son, my son. And this phrase, keep my word, do not forget, heed my words, in just chapters 1 through 13 is mentioned 14 times. So this is extremely repetitive. Saints, I think this is applicable for us as parents. We need to be repetitive because kids don't listen, right? Us as children of God, we need to hear over and over and over because it needs to settle in. Repetition is the father of learning. See, the word of God is personal from a father to a son or daughter. This is Solomon what we call being intentional, and parents, that's something for us: is that we need to be intentional in our relationships. We can't just do things because that's just how we've always done it. But there needs to be substance behind what we do, not just what, but the why. Solomon is very, very intentional, and it must be personal. The word of God must be personal. You know, I think of Pharaoh when it, when Moses first came and Aaron came. He's like, I could care less about the word because I don't know the God of the word. He says, I don't know the God you serve. I don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who is that? I don't know. So guess what? He had zero regard for whatever word came from that God. The word of God, saints, has to be personal or it means nothing to you. So as a father, a parent, the most important thing you can do for your children, if you don't have any kids, for your spouse. If you're not married, for the people you fellowship with. The most important thing you can do is instill a value for the living word of God. We must not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So he says, my son, don't forget. When he says my law, he's not talking about something he made up in his home that's arbitrary. Uh, You know, don't eat eat in the living room, okay? He's not talking about that type of law. Don't have food or drinks in the bedroom, right? Make sure you put the toilet seat down. He's not talking about a man-made law. This is what we call covenantal language. This is from the Mosaic law, the law that was given, that was holy and righteous and just. He speaks about obedience to the law. You know, for you note takers, Deuteronomy 4 and 6, it talks about how the law was to be Israel's wisdom, that there was no law like what Israel had. It reads this, you don't have to go there, but you can write it down if you take notes. Deuteronomy 4, 6 tells us that you shall be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In Proverbs, this wisdom personifies the Lord Jesus. If you go to Proverbs eight and all throughout Proverbs, it personifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, He essentially is our wisdom. He essentially is what wisdom is, that we may have his righteousness. Now, again, he didn't come to take away the law, but he came to fulfill it for you and I. And so when he says, do not forget, that means to cease to care, to ignore, not pay attention, to not become apathetic. We live in an apathetic world right now. People care less about the things of God people use God's words as a curse word. They, they, they chastise the Christians. There's no reverence for God. Even behind some of the pulpits in the churches, there's no reverence for God. Yet in the Old Testament, when he came in a pillar in a cloud, when they'd have, he come down in thunder and lightning, the people trembled and they bowed before him. When they, in the book of Nehemiah, when they read the law, the people wept. They were convicted. The word impacted them. But nowadays, people don't have any reverence for the word of God. Do you guys know that some of us, a lot of us, I'm them. I have a ton of Bibles. And most of the time, because I I give them away, but I have a ton of Bibles, but a lot of us have more than one Bible. Sometimes we we read from our phone more than our Bibles. You know, if you go to China, they'd weep when they get one of these. They weep. We have more than one page. We have more than one chapter. This right here is gold to them. And since we have to go back to the word of God being gold to us, that when we read it, we value it. When we read it, we, we cherish it. It really is like treasure to us. Solomon, as a wise father, is emphasizing the wisdom that comes from heeding the word of God. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, same chapter, it says, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and you shall teach them to your children and your grandchildren. May we cling tight to the Word of God. Jesus says, ultimately, Saints, on your outline, His Word must be written on our hearts, not in our minds only. See, we have to be doers of the Word, not just quoters of the Word. How many of us know people who just quote scripture? Left and right. Non-believers can quote scripture. Satan quoted scripture, right? Praise God you can quote scripture, amen? But blessed are you if you obey it, amen? Blessed are you if you live it, right? Christianity is more caught than taught. They can hear what you say, but they watch how we live. Solomon wants his son not just to quote the word of God, but to live by the word of God. Because one thing they can't silence is a transformed life, right? I can talk all I want up here, but if you guys watch me at home and in my workplace and my witness is not there, then what I say up here is null and void. Solomon's saying, my son, don't forget my law. Heed it, listen to it, obey it. This is very, very important. That's why Solomon keeps repeating himself. Don't forget my law, let your heart keep my commandments. When he says, let your heart keep my commandments, it means mind, will, and emotion, obedience. It's been said that love is the spring of true service to the Lord. We're bound by love and not by law. It's not bondage. Following the Lord is an extremely enjoyable way to live your life, but only when you understand what was done on the cross. Only when you understand how depraved we were, how lost we were, how hopeless we were, And that Jesus had to come all the way down or he would not have got to some of us, right? Once you understand that, walking for the Lord is just an attitude of gratitude, right? And we can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden thy word inside my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. Saints, our goal in obedience is not mere outward conformity to God's will, but a heart that simply loves and obeys him. See, saints, we don't just give teenagers a license to drive. That's not wise, right? But they actually go through training, driving hours, and things of that nature before they actually get a license to drive. That's just simply preparation and training. We too, when we're obedient to the commands of God, it's training for us to enjoy all that he has for us and not lead us to destruction. Remember, God has plans for our good, not for our bad, not for our destruction. I think about in Ezra chapter seven, it says that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. On your outline, his commandments are not for our imprisonment, but for our protection. You know, all the time you're people, I don't want to be a Christian, and I can't go party. I can't watch porn. Like, I can't sleep with my girlfriend. I can't curse. I got to give up cursing. Can you guys tell me one good thing about any of those? Have any of those help you guys' relationships, help you grow closer to the Lord, help your witness shine in a dark place? Can anybody help me with that? Those things are destructive to all your relationships. And see, the Bible talks about a way seeming right to a man, but their end thereof is death. See, again, God's commandments are not to imprison us to where we can't enjoy life. In fact, Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life in abundance, to the full, completely. He says, not for your destruction, but for your good. But I like the example of if a river does not have two banks by it, it actually goes and becomes a muddy swamp. But if you put two banks by a river, it flows graciously because of the two boundaries. See, God's long commandments are boundaries for us to keep us safe and to protect us and to actually prepare us to enjoy the life to the full. Right? Amen to that. So he tells his son, basically live by the word of God he says, verse two, for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. The NLT says this, if you do this, conditions, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Now, we know that many, many people obey God and, and they die young. That happens, right? This is a principle, but it's old, it's old covenant. It's, it's covenantal language. And in, in ancient Israel, they had blessings and cursings. Blessings for obedience, right? Long life you will have, prosperous life. God will be with you. Your crops would yield a lot. There are all these blessings for obedience. And then you had on here, the other mountain, he yelled cursings for disobedience. Is that your life will be short. It will be cut off. The women will be barren among you. There are all these consequences for not obeying the Lord. And so Solomon, as a king, and I don't know if you guys knew this, the kings had to memorize the whole Torah. Five, five books, not chapters, not verses, for those who complain, I can't memorize half a verse, right? Psalm 23, is six verses, I can't do that, right? Chapter, not just chapters, entire books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They had to memorize that. So King King Solomon was well well versed in Mosaic law, well-versed in the Torah. And so he uses covenantal language that you will be blessed. Length of days and long life and peace. Will they add to you? See, saints, there's great reward for obedience. Here's the sad part. Most of us want A-plus blessings for D-minus obedience. We want the Lord to bless us, but we don't want to really obey that much, right? That's just not really, It just, well, Lord, I want to, but I kind of, I sort of, and I'll do that, but then you, have, we don't make conditions with the Lord. He lays out the blueprint for us, right? So I love how Solomon, in this moment, right here, is laying out the foundation of heeding the word of God, not just being a quoter, but a doer of the word. See, Solomon first gives instruction, and then he tells his son why. Hey, heed the word of God, because it will add blessing and long life and peace. Parents, this is something to take note to. And then those of you who are not parents, but will be, those of you who have grown kids, because this is important, in just your, your communication in general. I have fallen in a trap sometimes, and I know some of you parents are here too, Do it because I said so, right? Be honest, we fall into that sometimes, right? But it's really important to take heed that he doesn't just give an an instruction, but he tells them why. It's important not just to be caught up in the what, but the why behind it, because the why is the motivation, right? Why do you obey God, right? Is it out of love or is it out of obligation? Because if I feel if I don't obey him, then he won't bless me, then I can't do that. That is not love of service, right? I want to obey God because of what he's already done for me, right? He's already paid the price. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm heaven bound, right? He's poured out his grace and abundance every single day. How could I not live for him? You know, I love Paul. If you guys read Paul's letters in the epistles, mid-sentence he breaks out in a doxology of worship. And then they forgot about this, and then God is foreverly blessed. Amen, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Like he just breaks out in worship. He can't help it can't help it. See, saints, the why is what God has already done for us. Paul says the love of Christ compels me, right? He says that Christ died for all, that those who live for him live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That's the why behind it. So Solomon tells the why. See, why is it so important? Because we serve God out of love and adoration because of what he has already done. I thank God my wife already loves me. Like, the the deal's sealed. I don't have to do any more for her to love me, right? We're married. But I'll tell you this, when I come home and I empty the trash and I help clean up the house and I do my part, it really makes our relationship that much better because I ease a burden off of her. And it's the same thing with the Lord. Not that he loves us more, right? Because he can't love us more than what was done on the cross, right? He loves each and every one of us as if there was only one of us, right? The love is completely poured out but it really draws us closer to our relationship with the Lord when we love him out of just complete adoration. See here, the point is that God honors and is pleased with obedience. Honoring father and mother is actually the fifth commandment and the first commandment with promise. You can say it loud. First commandment with promise that you may live long in the land. So he's using, again, covenantal language. Simple application. When we drive on the road or take a road trip, we can minimize our changes, uh, chances of an accident or danger by simply following the traffic signs, speed limits, traffic loss. If I exercise, take care of my body, watch what I eat, I'm more likely to physically live longer in this life. This is a principle, right? That if I heed the word of God, if I'm obedient and I serve him, there's more likely for me not to run into unnecessary problems. Okay. Most of our life we have what I call self-inflicted. I can't tell you how many times I get repetitive calls. Josh, my husband, this, or my wife, this, and, it, and it's repetitive. So what's going on? Like a broken record. Seriously. I, I, I say next time I'm just going to record you. And then when you call me, I'm going to play it for you before you say something. It's the same thing over and over because it's self-inflicted. Well, did you, were you, were you guys, have you guys been, been, have you guys been going to church? Well, no, we watch online. Okay, cool. All right, have you guys have, have you guys been been doing uh, devotion together? Oh no, no, he falls asleep before we do that. Okay, okay. So uh, have you guys been praying together? Oh no, I don't feel comfortable praying out loud. Okay, so um, so let me help you out here. Okay, let, let me help you out. This is I'm telling you, this is often, and then they expect again God to bless that with A plus blessings, and there's very little obedience to it, right? Saints, it's, it's we make it complicated. We do. We make it complicated but it's outlined in God's word that when you honor the word of God, the word of God honors you. God is is not a man that he should lie, right? That's great encouragement for us. So this is what Solomon is saying to his son. The reward for your obedience will allow you to experience a full life as then the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But for us, Jesus, that I've come, that you may have life and life in abundance. You know, I think of Joseph Joseph, And Daniel come to mind. They lived their lives to the full. Not free of turbulence, but they had a safe landing, right? They lived a long, full life full of blessings. That word peace, right? Still in verse two, Solomon says, peace they will add to you. See, this is a blessed combination and a necessary one. I don't know about you. What's the point of living long if you don't have peace? So many people now are living a life that they're Christians, but they don't have the peace of God because they're in broken fellowship. They're in a disobedient life. I don't want, I I have peace, and I'm I'm still like ready to go, right? I don't want to live a long life even longer here if I don't have peace. So that's a good combination. Length of days, also you have peace because you're in a fallen world. But peace can be described, I like to understand is this, an inner calmness and confidence in an outer chaotic uncertainty. See, we, we could only have peace from the Prince of Peace. For you note takers, for context, Romans 5 1 says this, therefore having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you here have dealt with anxiety? I have, I've had anxious moments. Have you guys dealt with worrying about something? I have. If your hand's not up, I mean, praise God, you're, you're strong, okay? Um, but we all deal with these moments of uncertainty. We deal with moments of worry, moments of depression, moments where uh, we're, we're not sure kind of what the situation may be. Saints, the word of God, God wants us to have a healthy confidence that everything's going to be okay because of the God who does not change his character. Saints, when we finally resolve and accept that he is sovereign, and that he is the almighty, which means the one who has his hand in everything, we can have a great deal of peace in our lives. Not when we disobey, but when we walk in his will. You know, I think about how in the world can Daniel, you know, in the lion's den, he was about 80 years old already, okay? In his 80s. How in the world was he able to fall asleep in the lion's den? I don't know, but I wouldn't have been there. I'm like on the wall hiding, right? But Daniel slept in the lion's den, fell asleep because he had the peace that comes from God. An inner calmness and confidence in an outer chaotic uncertainty. The lions could easily swallow me up, but he knows that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that preserved him when he said, yeah, those, those, uh, that meat, I'm not eating it, right? I'm not gonna defile myself. He also knew about the testimony of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yeah, we're not going to bow. Throw us in the fire if you want to. We're not going to bow. And God delivered him. But he had this inner calmness in a very chaotic situation. See, saints, uh, we, we really need to memorize, treasure, and hide the word of God in our hearts because Psalm 119, 165, for you note takers, it says, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing shall offend them. See, saints, there's things in our lives right now that have us anxious, unsettled, confused, down and out, depressed, or even in despair. Some things with our marriage, some things with our children, some things with maybe some of us have addiction, right? Has our peace been interrupted? I want to encourage you tonight to get your heart and mind focused back on the unchanging character and the promises of the true and living God. Some of his promises, saints. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not like us. He doesn't change. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I will work all things together for good. For those who love me are called according to his purpose. He says, if you're a child, you're also a citizen of heaven. He says, you have the person of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Those plans are for your good and not for your harm. They're plans to give you a good future and a hope. Nothing can snatch you out of His hands. I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal of confidence and encouragement in a world that's full of uncertainty, calamity, and destruction. Saints, we need to cling to the precious promises of the Word of God. This is exactly what Solomon is instructing his son. Live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse three in your Bibles. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. When he says, let not mercy and truth, that means kindness and faithfulness leave you. Now, these two verses of mercy and truth, they're often paired together throughout Scripture. They give a great balance to our lives, and what they really do is they reflect the unchanging character of the Lord our God. See, what it is is that Hebrews expresses mercy and truth to us, and we're called to express mercy and truth to others. And I know that's hard. See, these are the fruit of the Spirit. These are what reflect Jesus in us, and we are to remember to pray for more and more. Solomon knew very well that his son needed reminders to hold on to these virtues. They needed to be remembered and stored in his son's very being. See, Saints, the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. May we always remember that we are ambassadors for Christ. We need to be loving, kind, and truthful all in one. I like to tell people the gospel is offensive enough, it does not need our help. Right? It's already offensive. It's a stumbling stone. And when you try to add your aggressiveness and your rudeness to it, it just really takes away from the gospel, right? And so we're called to be kind and truthful. It's been said that truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. They're called to have them both. See, Jesus is our best example of balance. The woman caught in adultery, right? He knew that they set her up, but he comes and he vindicates her and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more, not go and sin some more, right? You see the balance. There was grace and mercy, but there was also truth. You can't continue to live a life of sin. To the Pharisees, if you, if, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone, go ahead, right? And I believe he might've been writing the 10 commandments in the sand or their sin, I don't know. No one knows, you can make speculations, but a perfect balance of mercy and truth, it gets the job done. And I think about right now, it's it's grieved my heart. As Christians, we should celebrate what we saw in the Supreme Court, a Roe versus Wade, right? We should celebrate because it's a step in the right direction. But saints, we have Christians angry, outraged that babies are going to be saved. They're outraged. And sadly, they're arguing. We're going back and forth as Christians, arguing with another while Satan's sitting back and just, awesome, look at you guys. You're rude to each other. You're mean, you're condemning. See, saints, we need the mercy and truth. Now here's the reality of it. Look, we're we're in the right direction. Job's not finished, right? We just started, job's not finished. We're going in the right direction. But here's the reality, saints, when we are defending the faith on why we believe what we believe, right? We have to start with the character of God. God is about life. Not just life in the womb, but life to the tomb, right? He's whole life. He's concerned about life from conception until departure. Amen? And so when we, when we pour, I just start there. Okay, look, at conceptions of human life, as Christians, no matter what party you stand on, no matter where you claim you stand, as Christians, we have to be unified in life. We have to be. As a Christian, if you argue against life, then what you're saying is you are not a biblical Christian. Right? You're not a biblical Christian. The Bible says that in him was life and life was the light of men. That's Jesus. He's all about that. So saints, I have to encourage you guys, when, you, when you're standing firm, ten toes down, when you're standing firm, you have to do it in mercy and truth. You cannot make it a political issue. I'm sorry, saints, you can't call people Democrats and republicans, okay? You can't do that. I'm sorry, you can't do that, okay? Because the, bo- the bottom line is, is that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. Is that, I don't know, but I'm a Christocrat. I'm a Christican, Okay? I'm of Christ. I'm with Jesus. And so wherever the Bible stands, that's where I stand. If the Bible goes to the right, I go to the right. If the Bible goes to the left, I go to the left. That's where we stand. But saints, they're watching our witness. And the enemy's looking back. Oh, look at the Christians. They can't even, they can't even agree on life. They can't even agree on it. Saints, mercy and truth is something that needs to be a part of our, holy, of, of our heart before the Lord. And so we need to be able, again, to Stand firm on the truth of God in love, mercy, and truth. It's not a political issue. It's a spiritual issue, saints. Very, very clear that life starts at conception. And what I tell people is the only difference between us and a baby in the womb, no matter what development stage, is size, level of development, and level of dependence. And we don't go kill people because they're smaller than us. And we don't kill people because they're less developed and we don't kill people because they're more dependent. right? We wanna support life from the womb to the tomb. And saints, every church that I know of, they're about supporting women, women's uh, pregnancy centers, not Planned Parenthood, but women's pregnancy centers, right? To help all aspects. They're help, helping the poor, widow, and the orphan, right? That's our calling as a church. Pure and undefiled religion is this, is they take care of the orphans and the widows and keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is true and undefiled religion. If we're not going to be concerned about all of it, then we can't stand firm in our calling as a Christian, right? Let's be bold. Let's be faithful, but let's be loving at the same time, all right? So when when Solomon says, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart, that is to say, have them so close that they're like jewelry you wear every day and something that's attached to one of your internal organs, such as your heart. That's as close as it needs to be. Saints, this is living in the spirit, as Paul was saying in Galatians 5. Christianity is more caught than taught, as I said earlier. How many times have we ruined our witness with our conduct? Lord, please help us. Saints, I've never seen anyone saved by being insulted. I've never seen anyone come to Christ by you calling them names and condemning them. But I have seen people come to Christ by showing the love and grace and truth that God has shown each and every one of us. We're lampstands. We're supposed to let the light shine, right? Solomon is exhorting his son. Verse four, he says, you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Essentially, saints, this is our reputation before man and character is who we are before God. See, interesting enough, our entire walk with the Lord hangs on two relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with our fellow man. It's not about us. But it's about God and people. When we have a loving relationship with the Lord, it will cultivate from a me-centered attitude to a Jesus and others-centered attitude. I think about the prodigal son. Are you guys familiar with that? Okay, prodigal son, right? He comes up, give me the goods. All the goods, right? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Okay, but when he went off, he found out, you know what, make me a servant. When you come to know the Lord in a loving relationship, it may start with give me the goods, but it will always lead to make me a servant. Solomon wants his son to be transformed by the word of God. I've gone through this many times. For context, Daniel 1.9 talks about, now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I go to this rental car place and there's actually, um, I didn't know it at, at first, but when I used to work for Average Youth, we used to get rental cars all the time. And I would just go there and I would just, you know, be me, right? I'll talk about Jesus and they would, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus. You know, I didn't know, I didn't really ask them what faith they were from. I ended up finding out they're a Muslim and I just, I just continued to just witness to them all the time. After a while, they, they would come back and I'm like, dude, every time you come in here, we like, the place is different. Every time you come in here, how come? And I constantly tell them, well, it's, it's Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus. Every time I come, they always say, you know what? We got to take care of the man of God. Favor, grace. No, you, you, get, you get the employee discount, you get this. Every single time, I tell them no. I always make sure their tanks are filled up. I show them the love of Christ. And every time I go in there, whatever you need, we, we just, we'll take, we'll take care of you. Favor, that's favor from the Lord. They didn't have to do that, it's their business. I didn't ask them. I just gave them the gospel every single time. Even to this day, every single time. When I go this, uh, to get our tires done, I go in there, because I'm there for about an hour and a half, two hours, got my Bible, got my sword. So I'm sitting there reading, reading my sword in there. One of the owners came out and he asked me to step into the office. I'm like, oh snap, Like, we're about to go to war or what? I got to put on the full armor? What's going on? And he says, I see you reading your Bible. Like I've been really, really troubled lately and I had a lot of questions and I know I need to go to church, but can you pray for me? Bro, say less, right? So we get there, we pray and he felt a lot better and I gave him some counsel, encouraged him, gave him a Bible to read the word of God. Every single time I come in there, the man of God is here. Hey, can we, we have some questions. Every single time, we want to make sure we take care of the man of God. This is not me. This is the Lord. So when he says, you will find favor and high esteem with God and man, I experience that all the time. That's why saints, are witnesses. important, is that the light that you shine from Christ, it ministers to people. That's why a little bit of darkness dims your light. Solomon is instructing his son, don't let that happen. Heed the word of God. So summary point one, live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. His word must not just be His word must be written on our hearts, not on our minds only. His commandments are not for imprisonment, but for our protection. I'm about to super speed this up. Point two, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Verse five, he says, Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. I could say that. I could preach on that for months and years. I believe that's the gospel of Proverbs. Essentially, it's to trust in the Lord and not in yourself. Trust what he's done for you on the cross. Trust that if he brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. This is the gospel of Proverbs. To trust in the Lord means to rely on and obey the Lord even when we do not understand but we know his character. The word trust, the key word of this section, Solomon now exhorts his son to live a life of trust, not just moments, but a lifestyle of trusting in the Lord. The, Lord, the word translated trust in this section, it means to lie helpless, face down. It pictures a servant waiting for the master's command and readiness to obey or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. To trust in God means to be unbottom of yourself and of every creature and to so lean upon God that if he fails, you sink. This is total reliance on the Lord. For context, Job 13, 15. For those of you who are familiar with the book of Job, yeah, I wouldn't sign up for that, that one, right? That, that's not something I'm like, yeah, no. But Job, even through all of that, Job 13, 15, though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. That's trust, right? That's dependence, that's reliance. That's complete surrender. I think of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 and 12 when all the army was coming after him and he looks, he's like, look, Lord, I I can't do anything with this great multitude, nor do I know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That's trust, full dependence. Because God has done it before, he'll do it again. Saints, I know there's been times in your life, and some of you are even in some times now, where you're you're in a great season where you have to trust in the Lord, where you have to rely on his promises. And I'll tell you this, whenever you doubt, God's past faithfulness is a roadmap to his future faithfulness. Whenever you get off track, go back to the roadmap. If he's faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the present and he'll be faithful in the future. Because God's not a man that he should lie. Right? And even when we're faithless, he's faithful because he cannot deny who he is. Solomon tells his son, you have to live a life of trusting in the Lord. Now for Solomon to exhort this, he himself must have found God to be faithful. Saints, I can't give you advice that I myself am not willing to take. I can't tell you something about that I have not been through myself. Solomon knew all too well about the faithfulness of God. You know what's puzzling to me? is we trust in all kinds of things in people. We do. You get in your car, you trust your car's going to start. You don't even think about it, right? It's going to start Started yesterday, started later today, trust that trust your employer. You trust all types of things and people that fail. However, saints, the Lord is the most reliable, trustworthy being in and outside of this universe. Amen? He's not a man that he should lie. At that point, I'm done. He can't lie. Okay, cool. Amen. Right? His wisdom is so great that he cannot make a mistake. He's eternal, so he knows the beginning from the end and everything in between he has high and holy purposes and no ulterior motives. He has, his love is limitless, so he can never be unkind. Yet his perfect love is always balanced by absolute holiness. Saints, trust has to be earned, and God has earned our trust. He's given us zero, and I mean zero, reasons not to trust him. Our God will never let us go, never let us down, and never let us off. Man has failed us, our emotions fail us daily, our own understanding is not reliable, yet we still place our trust in our own resources sometimes. True testimony, when I was in college, I, left, uh, I went to Ventura College and then I got a scholarship to play football in a university in South Dakota. In 12 months, I suffered heat stroke, double pneumonia, my apartment burned down and my other apartment f- flooded in 12 months. So when I first got to camp in July, 2005, many moons ago, three days in, I get heat stroke, almost died, like literally almost died. They, had to, they took me to the hospital. They pumped me with two liters of fluid. They released me prematurely. They had to come back and get me because if I wouldn't went to sleep that night, I would have died. Uh, since my age of 16, I've had this banner in every single house that I've lived in. My mom bought it for me. Okay. You guys see what that says? It's Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Okay. And I brought it for this very reason is when I got double pneumonia in the wintertime. So I, I, I had heat stroke, okay? Then I got double pneumonia in the wintertime. While I'm in the hospital with double pneumonia, my apartment burns down. And I get a call in the hospital. They said, hey, they, back then they called me Camp. Hey, Camp, uh, like, well first, how you doing? Well, I'm coughing because I got double pneumonia. He's like, uh, cool, awesome. He goes, you know your house is on fire? Your apartment's on fire? I'm like, what? And I'm like still coughing. I'm, I'm not even ready to release. And, I, and the first thing, I did, I'll be, first thing I thought of, I had some 25-pound dumbbells there. And I was like, my dumbbells are going to get burned. I got to get out of here. That was the first thing I thought of. And so I do. I go, I go to the, the doctor and say, am I good to go? Like, can I go? They say, well, we're not really. But, you know, you're an adult. If you want to check yourself out, I'm 20 years old. If you want to check yourself out, you can. So I checked myself out prematurely because I wanted to save my dumbbells and whatever else I could save, right? <laughs> You know, the Bible says, you know, the the glory of a young man is his strength. So I was 20 years old. I needed my dumbbells. So I come in and the entire like apartment is is black. Like it's burned. My bed is burned. My clothes are burned. The only thing that was not burned was this right here. There was actually a, a white, all the white paint. There was at least a two inch layer of it all around this ribbon. And guess what? Did not smell like smoke and still does not smell like smoke. And I've never washed it. Okay. And it followed me from every single house that I've lived in since the age of 16. Now, again, this is not like cinnamon. I don't go rub it or anything like that. But I have it in every single house to remind me at that point, I had to learn how to trust in the Lord with all of my heart because I had an option there. I don't have a place to live right now. I'm away from home. I could just go home. I don't need to finish this. I could just go home. I had no family. And it just made me realize that true dependence and reliance is on God you don't have any other resources. You have to learn how to trust and rely on the Lord with all of your heart and not doubting. And so I learned at that time. And a big bonus of that, that was the first time my wife ever talked to me because she felt bad for me. So that was good. Amen. So I met her in college. And so she wrote me, apologized. I'm sorry what happened to your apartment. I heard what happened. I'm like, oh, amen. Some good came out of this, right? God worked out for good. Amen. (laughs) But that was hanging up. And so Solomon's exhorting his son with all your heart. You need to rely and depend on the Lord. It must be complete. And saints, it doesn't mean perfect. Like this is, our trust in the Lord is progressive. Is that as we grow and we experience a relationship with the Lord, you begin to trust him more. The Israelites, when they first left Egypt, Egypt was a little bit more comfortable because they knew what to expect. When they went in that wilderness, it was like, yo, no leeks, no onions, no quail. Yikes. Yikes. You also know beatings, right? Also, you get to worship the Lord. But it was a process of them learning how to trust in the Lord. That's when I learned what it truly meant to trust in the Lord with all our heart. For you note your Psalm 118 and eight, it's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in man. Verse five, he says, lean out on your own understanding. If we're to trust in the Lord with total dependence, it means we're not to rely on our own wisdom. Sometimes, saints, we can think we know better than God. Oh my God, I got this. I can do this without you. And that's the worst thing we can do as Christians. Saints, it's been said that self-sufficiency and self-dependence have been the ruin of mankind ever since the fall of Adam. Self-sufficiency and self-dependence. I got this. I can do this. You know, Jesus tells us in John 15, apart from me, you can do nada, right? nothing. We need him. What a hopeless and tireless situation. When I think of Moses, who truly relied on God when he went to the cul-de-sac, when all of Pharaoh's men were coming after them, they had nowhere to go. And what did the people do? What do What do they normally do all throughout the wilderness? What do they do? Complain. You brought us out here to die. There's no graves out here. Moses, here's what he says. Exodus 14, 13, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord while there was a red sea and nowhere to go. That's trusting in the Lord with all of your heart because of who he is, amen? And verse six, he says, acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. See, St. Solomon then instructs his son to acknowledge God in all your ways. And this can simply be understood as consulting with God in all we do or say. One simple word, pray. Pray. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is our greatest privilege as sons and daughters, is that we can commune with God anytime, any place, anywhere, for any reason. And the Bible says this is our confidence, that anything we ask, he will give us according to his name and according to his will. But, but saints... We pray less, not more, right? It's one of the most underestimated, underused privileges as children of God. And sometimes we pray because we don't pray because we don't get answers right away. But saints, we have confidence that he hears us. And sometimes it's no, sometimes it's slow, and sometimes it's yes, but he always answers. And so saints, we're to acknowledge God. We're to pray without ceasing. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. The fervent, affectionate prayer of the righteous availeth much. You guys heard of Charles Spurgeon, right? Most of you. Old school preachers, 1600s. They asked him, what's more important? The word of God or prayer? Responding like only Charles Spurgeon can respond? Well, what's more important? Breathing in or breathing out? You need them both, right? You need them both. But we can't have one without the other. Saints, God's word reveals the God of the word. How easy can we get caught up in doing what we've always done? My encouragement to you in seeking the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. When you wake up in the morning, acknowledge God. In your marriages, acknowledge God. In your parenting, acknowledge God. In your singleness, your friendships, work, your emotions, your loneliness, whatever it may be, acknowledge God. Because he says the reward of this is that he's going to direct your paths. It doesn't have to be complicated, saints. It's simply acknowledging God as the one who holds us, the whole universe in the span of his hand. The Bible says that he knows the stars, can count them. He Knows them by name, the stars. And every single hair in your head is numbered. Not that he knows how many of they are, which he does, but they each have a number and he knows which number they are. Some of us more, some of us less, right? but he knows the number. This is the God that he says we are to acknowledge. And of course, saints are perfect examples, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John five nineteen, most assuredly I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son does in like manner. This is a promise saints that God will direct our paths. One of the most common questions I get as a pastor is what's God's will for my life? What what does he want me to do? What's my purpose? The principle here is to ask. Why don't you ask God? If any of you lack wisdom, James 1, ask of God, and he will give to you liberally without reproach. But you need to ask in faith, right? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without recognizing that he is who he is and that he's a rewarder to those who diligently seek him, then why would he grant that? If you don't trust, he will give it to you, right? So if you want to know the will of God for your life, ask, seek, listen. For me, and I encourage you guys, and you guys have heard it from Pastor Dave, I encourage you guys to get a prayer journal. For the last several years, I've kept a prayer journal. And every time I've, I've from time to time, I'll go back. I'm just amazed at how faithful God is with his yes his slow and his no. I look back and I'm glad you said no to that one. And I'm glad you said slow to that one. And I'm glad you said yes to this one. When you look back on your lives, you have a lot of answered prayers, not the way you wanted to, but the way that was best for you and God's plan for your life. Amen? Amen? We must seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verses seven and eight, and I'll steamroll through a lot of these verses. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your your bones. This phrase, do not be wise in your own eyes, it actually gives us an understanding and definition to lean not on your own understanding. Guess what? We don't know everything. Shocker, right? We don't know everything. We're actually very limited in what we know. And we're even more limited in what we hold, right? We only use about 20% of our brain. Okay? God is infinite. He's eternal. He knows the beginning from the end. He's the first and the last and everything in between. And we're not even the first or the last. We're barely in between. Right? So Solomon says, do not be wise in your own eyes. This is to regard our wisdom as better and greater than God's. Anyone who claims they know more than God is one destined for destruction as pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit for destruction. Saints, we see this in all the cults. Mormon Church. Whoa, 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 we have another testament. The first one wasn't good enough, right? We have a whole another testament of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Joseph, he, he was so special among the two or three billion people at that time in the world that God just revealed himself to him. He was the most, you know, person who was ready to receive that general revelation. You don't know more than God. That's what he's claiming he did. We see this in politicians. We see this in the religious Pharisees. We see this in some public school philosophy, worldly institutions, Paul's warning to us is therefore those who think they stand, take heed lest they fall. Paul's warning to us is professing to be wise. They become as fools. And I love what Paul says. If anyone who wants to be wise in this world, they must become a fool. Then they become wise, right? We have to rely on the wisdom of the Lord. See, Solomon knows all too well about being wise in his own eyes. He started off really well, and then he set up over 700 altars for his 700 wives and concubines in all the high places and started all the ancient Israel idol worship. And then his son took note and he did, and he did it too and started his own religion, Re- Rehoboam. You guys read Kings? Started his own religion. And hey, you guys don't need to go to Jerusalem and pray and worship. I got the golden cast right here on tap, right here. And he started his own religion. They, they said, amen, right? So saints, we have to remember again, we can't lean on our own understanding. And fear the Lord and depart from evil. Notice how those two are one and the same. You can't fear the Lord and draw near to evil at the same time. The fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Remember saints, anything that displeases the Lord, we don't want it. We want to put a smile on his face. We want to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to him. And then he tells them, this is going to be, In verse eight, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. This is going to help you. Now, again, it's covenantal language. When we truly fear the Lord, his passions and his affections become ours. We don't want to do anything to disappoint him, grieve his heart. Thus, it draws us further from evil and closer to him. Many times in my life, when I was with opposition for my faith, even on the job site, I just couldn't keep silent. I couldn't hold it back, that which the Lord has given to me. That is a result of the fear of the Lord. When he says health, that word actually means medicine or healing. He says it will be medicine to your life with the Lord. It will be healing in areas where you're weak. In essence, the fear of the Lord cures us from worldliness, sin, and evil. See, when you have the fear of the Lord, you're not concerned about what the world says. You're only concerned about what the Lord says. How can we grow in our fear of the Lord, saints? You ready? Spend more time with him. Spend more time with him. In his presence, in his word, like the psalmist saw in here, 119, 148, David says, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. When was the last time you woke up at 1 a.m. and just drove in? When's the last time you said a clock, I'm gonna wake up in the night watching. watch it. I can't wait to meditate on the word of God. I can't wait. When's the last time our hearts have rejoiced at the word of God as one who has found a great treasure? When's the last time? Saints, the exhortation is for us to draw near and near and near. And we'll end there and I'll finish next time. I might even be up here Sunday. Hopefully Pastor Dave's here, but if he's not, we'll finish the message, right? Amen. So in review, live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Saints, the Bible says he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. A healthy fear of the Lord will have us depart from evil, not draw near to it. Worship team, come on up. And Saints, as we close, I just want to give out an exhortation. Usually on Thursday, mostly everybody's saved, but you never know, right? Bible makes it very clear that God wishes that none shall perish, no, not one. That our life here is just but a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And that all those who don't know the Lord, the Bible says that they're in bondage to the fear of death all the days that they live. But it also says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were doomed, we were destitute. The law pinned us up in a corner and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the simple solution is, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. He says, anyone who confesses me before man, I will confess you before my father and all the holy angels. But if you deny me before man, I would deny you before my father and all the holy angels. And so now I want to give anyone an opportunity who has not placed their trust and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross to do that now in front of, in front of whoever's here, right? He said, if you, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God wants you to spend eternity with him. He loved you so much. He loves us again He loves each and every one of us like there's only one of us. That's the great and awesome God that we serve. Anyone in here? Anyone? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, just to give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the book of Proverbs, Lord, for Solomon, that you gave him your wisdom to just give sound truth in a very ungodly world. And Lord, we pray today that we would not just have a Bible in our head and not in our hearts, that we would not just be hearers of your word, quoters of your word, but doers of your word. And so, Lord, we ask that you would go with us. You would go before us, that we would be soldiers for the cross of Calvary, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, for it truly is the power of God into salvation to all who believe. We love you, Lord. We can't wait till we're with you in heaven in the fullness of joy where there's no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more anxiety, no more despair, no more depression, where we're singing praise songs and worship songs with all the host of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and the saints said, amen. Let's worship.